0: Hope Church. All right, so we're going to be continuing here with the Passion narrative in the life of Jesus, Matthew 26, verses 1 through 35. These are the final days of the life of our Lord and Savior. So first, I'm going to read these 35 verses um, in the New King James Version, and then we're going to go back and look verse by verse. And when we go back, I'll be reading from the NIV Version. But this first pass I'm going to make through in the New King James Version. Let's just read the whole thing for context, and then we will uh, look in a little bit deeper. Now it came to pass, when Jesus had finished all these sayings, that he said to his disciples, You know that after two days is the Passover, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests, the scribes and the elders of the people, assembled at that uh, palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas, and plotted to take Jesus uh, by trickery and kill him. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For if the fragrant oil (coughs) might have been sold for much and given to the poor... But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, Why do you trouble this woman? For she has done a good work for me. You have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, whenever the gospel is preached in the whole world, that this woman has uh, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, "Uh, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. From that time he sought an opportunity to betray him. Now on the first day of the feast of of the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover uh, at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. Now as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. sorrowful. And each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? And He answered and said, He who has dipped his hand with me in this dish will betray me. The son of man indeed goes just as written of him, but woe to the man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been better, uh, it would have been good for that man had not been born. When Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? He said to him, you have said it. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to him, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When he had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have uh, been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him to him and said, Even if, you are made, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny deny you. And so said all the disciples. Let's pray. Lord, we just come before you so grateful for what you have done for us, uh, that you sent your son for us. And we are so grateful for your incredible love to us. And we are so grateful for who you are. And I pray that as we read through these verses that you would teach us, Lord, that you would soften our hearts. We want to be people with soft hearts that live how you want us to live. We want to be your hands. We want to be your feet. Uh, We don't want to be caught up in our own lives and be about our own agendas. Lord, we want to be about your kingdom. So we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your word and pray that you would have your way in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so let's look back now at verse 26. When G- when Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to the disciples, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. So here we are. This is the last, very last week, last days of Jesus' earthly ministry before his crucif- crucifixion. And we're here right before the Feast of the Passover, which was one of the required feasts for the Jewish people. It was a commemoration of the last plague, if you remember the plagues um, that were levied through the Lord with Moses on Pharaoh in Egypt because they had the God's chosen people in slavery and Pharaoh refused to let people go time and time again. And this last plague was the most destructive and the saddest as the firstborn of man and beast for everybody was dead taken by that was the life was taken away by the death angel except for those who had had the blood of the passover lamb as they were instructed over their doorframe we see that the believer we see that the the israelites in goshen followed god's commandment they were spared this great uh this great uh, and terrible plague now we see obviously there's there's obvious in direct correlation to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who is himself the Passover lamb for us. And we'll get into that here a little bit more as we go. And then we also see here, he says, he calls, he keeps calling himself the son of man. I know we've talked about it a whole lot of times um, through our study of Matthew, but that's Jesus's favorite self-designation. He refers to himself as son of man. As we've been studying through revelation in our small group, we see the son of man keep coming up that phrase as we're studying through revelation. But it's also it's, it's, it's very unique because it wasn't used by rabbinical Judaism at this time. It didn't have any like militaristic or nationalistic implications like some other things did. If he'd have just gone around calling himself the Anointed One or the Messiah, it would have been a little bit more trouble for him, but he could call himself the Son of Man. But we do see in the Old Testament, if we remember here from Daniel 7.13 that we've gone through even in our study of Revelation. i read that for us. Uh, in my vision... At night I looked, and there was before me one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshipped him. Uh, His domain is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So this is an awesome statement here by Daniel, because here is someone like a son of man coming into the presence of God. A human being can't just walk into the presence of God. So this is another indication, you know, this is another insight into the uniqueness of Christ. He keeps calling himself the son of man, which could be, I'm just a person. He's referring to... What is spoken of the Son of Man in the in the, uh, the one like a Son of Man that we see um, in uh, in the Old Testament, looking forward to this person that's going to be an, the chosen one that is more than just a man. He is also very much God, and so Jesus is unique in that way that he is fully God and he's fully man, as we've said. He's completely otherly, and that in just by that short, simple statement, there is so much to unpack in that, and he keeps using that of himself. Uh, but the cool thing is. Our Lord is otherly, perfect. He is completely different from us in more ways than we can know. But also, he can fully understand what it's like to be a human being. Um, Because he lived, he walked on earth as a man. Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but was one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin, which is incur I mean, we've talked about it so many times, but it's so encouraging for me to know that I can pray to somebody that I have a Lord that understands. It's not that he doesn't get it. It's not that he, it's not that he is it's not that he is out there and I'm here and he has no understanding of what I'm going through. He made me, but he also through Christ lowered himself. And experience the hardships and struggles that we go through. You've had a rough week. You had a rough time this week. Jesus had some rough times. We're reading through some of them now. He's had to go. He's had to endure a lot. He had to endure a lot more in a few short years than many of us will endure in our entire lives. So he knows how to to sympathize with what we're going through. And he tells him explicitly in this verse. I know I'm taking forever on this verse, but he says specifically on this verse that he's going to be crucified. I mean, wow. Now, we've already talked multiple times. He said to his disciples, I'm going to be handed over and mistreated. Then he tells them later, I'm going to be killed. And it's very, and we see in scripture that they don't understand. Jesus saying, I'm going to die. We're going to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. And they don't say anything because they don't quite get it. Now he says, I'm also going to be crucified. And that's a big deal. Now, for us, we see crosses all the time. You know, we've, been gr- we've grown up in Christian cultures where we see pictures of crosses and all those types of things. We've never seen somebody hanging on a cross. These people didn't have, the, they didn't have a version of when Jesus said I'm going to be crucified. They didn't think, oh, like there's little things that everybody wears around. Or, oh, like the, I see on, saw drawn on the side. No, what they know about crucifixion is that it was something that the Romans perfected to be the most horrible means of death imaginable. Jesus could have said I'll be burned at the stake. That would have been that would have been, oh man, that's bad, but that's a lot better than being crucified in some ways. It's a few short minutes of excruciating pain and then you're done. He could have said I will have a rock tied around my ankles and be drowned. That would have been terrible, freaky, but again, not very long. Most people didn't die from crucifixion for two, sometimes 3 days. And it was specifically something that the Romans used to keep people in uh, the Roman Empire in line. So everybody had, at some point had been walking down a highway and seen somebody nailed to a tree in agony who might have been hanging there for a couple of days. And, like, that's that's so grotesque and otherworldly that we can't even fathom it. Like, for us to imagine, you know, us to imagine a hanging now is like, well, that's, that's I can't imagine that. That would be, you know, a terrible way to be executed. But, I mean, this is so much worse. And, I mean, I don't I want mean, I to spend all day on it, but when... When they, they nailed you to a tree, put nails through your feet, hung you by your hands, but how your body works with your diaphragm and then fluids coming down, you can't breathe after very long. You have to push up on your feet in order to get a breath. Got na- you're pushing up on nails through your feet. And it's not like that feels better by the third or fourth hour. I mean, it's just the worst type of pain that you can imagine having to struggle through incredible pain for every breath until you die. I mean, it's gross. I mean, it really is absolutely gross and vile. And Jesus tells his disciples right then and there, this is what's going to happen to me. I can't imagine, I mean, I'm just trying to imagine being a disciple sitting there thinking, wow, you know, that's, I mean, I don't even know how you deal with that. Um, I wonder if any, if it came to mind what he had said to them before, though. Remember when we looked back, when we studied through Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Can you imagine, I wonder if that like rang a bell to anyone at that point. I mean, because I mean, that had been a hard teaching when he first gave it. You want to follow me? It's not going to be easy. You know how hard it's going to be? You've got to take up your cross and follow me. We kind of have a clean version of understanding that Jesus died on a cross. We're going to have to die to our sins. All right, got it, let's go. When you didn't have any context for that teaching, when Jesus says you're going to have to take up your cross and follow me, that's like, wow, that's uh, that's... That doesn't sound like any type of fun. I'm going to be your disciple, so I have to pick up my worst form of torture and death and follow you. Oh, sign me up. You know, I wonder if, if Jesus' teaching on that came back to mind when he told them what was going to happen. Or maybe it came clear after, uh, after he was raised from the dead. Verse 3. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the place of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But, uh, but not during the festival, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. So chief priests and elders, that's shorthand for the Sanhedrin. And this is ex- exactly what's going to happen shortly. Um, they're, go- you know, they're going to plot on how to, to trap him. Eventually they do, and eventually Jesus is executed. This is really interesting, though, that we have this group of religious leaders that are very, I mean, these are really pious folks. These are folks that won't eat with somebody that is not a Jew. These are people that add laws on top of laws that want to keep themselves, you know, perfectly in line of, I'm not breaking the law in any type of way. But they're to, they're not. This isn't a meeting where they're coming before the official court and saying we're holding this man on trial because we think that he's done something that is worthy of death. These are people meeting in secret at night, plotting how to murder somebody. This isn't a we're going to do this according to the law because we're going to do what we think is righteous. This is some people that want to have somebody done in. I mean, this that's really what's happening here in in, in the quiet of night. And Caiaphas is an interesting guy. We, we know from Josephus, the historian, that he was appointed in AD 18 by a Roman prefect who preceded Pontius Pilate to be governor. So we still have, you know, through Jewish history, there was no Roman person appointing who was going to be the high priest. But there's so much turmoil in this time between the Roman uh, government that's over everything and the local jewish government and the jews have been trying to throw off rome they want to we've talked about the zealot party before where there's a lot of people that want to violently overthrow the roman leadership so there's all this tension happening at this time and jesus is also stoking a lot of fires and so the people that are in charge want those fires quenched um but it's yeah it's just amazing they have no qualms with with doing them in but they say that they don't want to do it during this feast. Now, Jerusalem would swell to many times. We were, we were in Atlanta last night for the for the game. We're on the buses. I mean, we were getting on the subway at what time? It was late. And there were so many people, man. That place was just packed. And you realize, like, in Athens, Georgia, what, what's the population of Athens? Anybody know? 100,000? And, I mean, on game days... On game days, it just gets nuts. Like, you want to go downtown and sh- go shopping? Sure. You want to go downtown shopping on game days? No. And we don't even... We may be double in size, but in, but in Jerusalem, it was... It's First of all, it's a smaller city, and it just... People from all over come there. So if you can imagine, like, it, I mean, the it's there's just people on top of people on top of people, you know it was kind of like on the bus last night we had people leaning up against us in every single direction the town- The town of Jerusalem is just covered, and Jesus is very popular and has a lot of followers at this time so if he's arrested and killed and everybody knows about it, there could be a huge riot. Rome could come in and you know, and whoever the, whoever's in charge in Rome, this—I mean, of of of, uh, of the government at this time could get in trouble. Also, in the religious context, if this is started by the Sanhedrin, Caiaphas might get the boot, and Rome might put somebody else in to be high priest. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen, so they want to do Jesus in, but they want to do it carefully because they don't want to have, you know, they don't want to get in trouble. So, I mean, all of this is really a power play of politics, um, and it's uh, it's uh, going to land on Jesus. And, you know, and again, with all of this, the symbolism just can't be missed. You know, Jesus is the Lamb of God slain uh for you and for me, you know. Remember John what John the Baptist said, John one twenty nine, look the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You know, his his blood is the barrier um for the death angel. You know, he Jesus' blood is um what gives us life. Verse six. While Jesus was in Beth, Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. Now, we're well, like, all right, they were in Jerusalem, so how's this Bethany? How's that work? Well, we, we know from John eleven eighteen that Bethany was a very short distance from Jerusalem. It was less than two miles. So, and what's he doing in the house of a leper? How does that work? Because we know from other scripture, lepers were always outside of the town. If somebody had leprosy, they weren't going to be living in the town. And certainly, if somebody was doing that, you wouldn't go in their house and hang out with them because there's, you know, that's not smart. So this is very likely somebody that had leprosy that Jesus had healed before, and now Jesus is going to his house uh, to have to to sup with this person. Uh, and this woman who comes, and this woman is not named here. Uh, and real quick, too, there's a couple it can cause some confusion but there's a couple of different anointings that we see of Jesus in scripture because this this is different than the one we see in Luke chapter 7 that happens before Jesus' triumphal entry that's earlier in his ministry and it's also a bit different, they're in a the house of a Pharisee there and we see a bunch of Pharisees around that cause a commotion instead of the disciples and also the woman that comes in when we see in Luke is somebody that's called a sinful woman and instead of anointing Jesus' head like we see here, she anoints Jesus' Jesus' feet with her tears, and pours uh, pours the uh, the ointment on his feet. And in that in that account, the uh, Pharisees are all upset, not because of the money. They're like, you know, this is a sinful woman. You're going to let a sinful woman touch you? And the Pharisees were all were all freaking out. This is a different situation. So this woman. Uh, the the luke account is an emphasis on the woman being sorry for sin and and being grateful to jesus where in this account here we see jesus being ceremoniously anointed for burial now this perfume was a very very expensive item we can see from other scripture that there's a good chance that it cost probably about a year's wages Um, it has been widely speculated that this was likely her marriage dowry so what do you make in a year I mean, could you imagine having something that costs that much that is ultimately going to be how you support yourself ongoing in the future, if it's through a marriage, and, um, and you pouring that out on the head of Jesus? That is incredible, and the disciples saw this, and they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. And we see in John's account, he tells us that Judas is actually the one that speaks up and is upset about this. And then all the other, Judas says, we could have given this money to the poor. And everybody else says, yeah, 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 yeah. Now, the funny thing is, First of all, we know Judas didn't care. We're going to get into uh, to Judas here in a second. But let's say you happen to have $45,000 or whatever you make in a year, whatever that happens to be. Uh, you have a large sum or just a large sum of money. What's your first thought? You know what I'm going to do? You're going to think, you know what, I'm going to maybe buy, I need a vehicle, or I'm going to make a down payment on the house. I'm going to invest for the future. Nobody's taking that type of sum of money that is, for her, that is her future, you know what I mean, in a real sense. That's her future. Nobody says, you know what, instead of that, I think I'm going to get every last nickel to the poor, you know. I mean, that's not realistic anyways. And the interesting thing is, she doesn't give this to Jesus saying, hey, Jesus, this is worth so much money. This could support your ministry. For the next five years, you know what I mean, sell this for a year's way or 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 support you for the next year, sell this, and the, you know no, she pours it on his head, which is amazing. I mean this is something that she's not going to be able to use now, he's not going to be able to use afterwards, but it's this amazing, beautiful act that she does, and Jesus says uh, verse ten. Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured the perfume on his body, she did it to prepare me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Um, one, one, one quick side too. The poor you will always have with you. Jesus is not saying, "Well, the poor don't matter." You can't you can't read the gospel and not see that Jesus has incredible compassion on the poor and very much cares about the poor. He's about to be crucified in a few days and nobody understands that. He's clearly saying that, but everybody's still confused and scared. This is a beautiful thing that this woman is doing for him to, uh, to and preparing him for burial. Now, the disciples will have a whole life ahead of them where they're going to have churches and they're going to have to deal with people around them that are poor and they're going to have to deal with them the way that the Lord wants them to deal with them. So uh, anybody here that's going to, uh, in, until, and you know, anybody that he- was hear- hearing this words are going to have the rest of their life to help people that are in need. But Jesus they're not going to have with them forever. That's what he's saying. He's not saying at all that the poor don't matter. But this is, this is his time. Um. You know, and and two, I think it's almost another grace for the disciples. I've talked about that before, you know. Um, a lot of times we're, I, 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 initially I read the scriptures and a lot of times I'm kind of hard on the disciples it's like Jesus told you that you're going to be mistreated then he tells you he's going to be killed now he said you're going to be crucified but you're all scared and you don't get it but Jesus is saying stuff that they don't they're, they're, from their point of view from how they were raised for what they were expecting from the Messiah to come and reign and throw off throw off the, the chains of Rome what everybody was expecting what Jesus is doing is totally different he's fulfilling scripture as a suffering servant now he will come back and reign in power so all of those Old Testament scriptures are going to be fulfilled some in the very near future and some many uh, you know many generations off but they can't wrap their mind around it and i mean i can't fault them for it because it's it's very difficult thing to have to wrestle with um but this is another grace for them i think where maybe this when you know he's he said he's going to die now he's saying he's going to be crucified now he's saying they're preparing me for burial it is very much sinking in with them at this point that things are about to get real bad real quick and then also, afterwards, you know, when they're remembering all of these things, after Jesus is raised from the dead, they're going to they're remember, oh, yes, I remember, you know, all of these things are going to come together in their mind and really solidify for them what Jesus was doing. And the fact that he was telling them about it, about it as they were going, even though they didn't understand, at some point they're going to understand and they'll have this to hold on to. I really think it's a grace for them, too. Um, and also, man, just the extravagance of this love. You know, this is also before the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. So this lady does this. You see that God is definitely leading her, though. The Lord has his hand in everything that's happening. And um, and she is obedient with this. And um, just that extravagant love. Man, I just wish, too, that I could have that type of extravagance in my love for Christ. I wish that for all of us. Let's go on to the next verse. In verse 13, Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Which is true. We are many, 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 many years after the fact. 2,000 years or so after the fact, and here we are talking about it. Um, and offhand, this might not sound like a radical comment, but you know to a group of, of nationalistic Jews that were taught from birth about the salvation of Israel, the idea, too, that this good news is going to be preached throughout the entire world, even though that might sound like a small thing right here, is still something that's not solidified in their minds. They still haven't gotten that yet. Um, and this is something else they'll remember, too, down the road. You know, Jesus didn't even go to the entire world. They were shocked when he went to, you know, Samaria, to what the old northern kingdom. You know, it's like, right, what, you know, what are we doing up here? The fact that you know, he didn't go to the entire world, but he's going to send them to the entire world. This is another another glimpse into God's great rescue plan for all of humanity. And we have verse 14. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Man, this one statement about Judas says everything you need to know you know, about Judas. He had, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like, we see, we'll, we'll see soon that Peter is tempted because of fear and turns his back for a moment, but on, on the Lord, and then is so sorry about it. But here, Judas is not, he's not out one day and somebody comes up to him and is like, hey man, you want to be rich? I know you like money. How'd you like to be a made man? You hand Jesus over to us, and we'll make you a made man. That's not even what happened. He said he had decided in his heart, I'm going to betray this dude. I'm going to hand him over, and he goes to the people that he knows want Jesus done in, and say, what do you give me? And they count out 30 pieces of silver. To be realistic, he probably could have gotten more than that. 30 pieces of silver is a lot of money, but it's not like he's made for life. He's not like, I'm turning Jesus over, and I'm never going to have to work again. I mean, that's a lot of money, yes, but... For, for the desperation of of uh you know of the Sanhedrin, I bet you if he was pushing for more money, more money, he might could have gotten it. He had decided already, I'm betraying this guy. I don't believe him. He's I mean his unbelief is clear from the outset. He's gonna go turn him in and see what he can get. The real the real problem here is the unbelief. And then he says well, you give me for it. Now and I I was reading that somebody was uh, speculating that Judas was part of the, the zealots that we've talked about before. Which he may or may not, but I don't know for sure, but Iscariot there's some potential that he was a zealot. And some people have posited that they that he didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, because he said he would die instead of that he was going to reign, and he was upset about it, and so he went and turned him in. But well, that ain't the case either, because if he was real righteous and said, you know what, this guy is not the Messiah, he's a, a fraud, What's he going to, why is he saying, what are you going to get me for it? You know, you, you know everything you need to know about him. He's not doing this for any type of principle. He is, he is sick through and through. He really is. What can I get for a betrayal? What are you going to get me? So he had decided to betray Jesus, and it's amazing, too, because he had seen all these miracles. He had heard Jesus' teaching, you know, and he still, but he still decided in his heart that he did not believe. He didn't believe. It's, it's just amazing. It's amazing. In verse 17, on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations to, uh, for you to eat the Passover? Where do you want us to make preparations? Now, preparations were necessary because the lamb had to be bought, earlier it had to be prepared according to exodus twelve three, which means it had to be killed in the temple so this isn't something you can pull off like last last minute you have to make some preparations in verse 18 jesus replied go into the city to a certain man and tell him the teacher says my appointed uh, time is near i'm going to celebrate the passover with my disciples at your house So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. I love this. Go find a certain man in this huge city. (laughs) Simple, right? Well, Luke 22.10 gives us a little bit more insight. Uh, Jesus says, As you enter a city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters. So we get a little bit more insight of how this happens, and why is it unique that a guy is carrying a you know is carrying some water? It's like well, this big city with a bunch of people that got to eat. Well, in this culture at this time, guys didn't carry water; that was a lady's job. And so, if a guy was carrying water, he was going to stick out like a sore thumb in a big line of women carrying water. There was going to be that one guy, and, and all the disciples were like that. That's the one right there. <laughs> so, so that was also you know the Lord working things out. But he says to tell this guy that my appointed time is near. And if we remember for, for, through all of our study of Matthew, Jesus keeps telling his followers that his time is not here. He keeps healing people and saying, hey, don't say anything because my appointed time is not here. Well, he is now saying that, that his time is here. It has arrived. In verse 20, when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve, and while they were eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. That's quite a quite a bombshell. Now, first it says they were reclining at the table. You know, we have it's interesting how many you know mental pictures that we have through history. Everybody can think of uh, Da Vinci's famous painting of um, of the Last Supper. Everybody, you know, this big European looking, uh, Victorian looking room with everybody sitting at this nice table all on one side so you can see their faces. You know, well, um, The tables at this time in this culture were not like that at all. They didn't have chairs. There were low tables. There would have been cushions and other things that they would lean up on and you would lean up to the table on your left elbow and everybody would be around the table that way. So that's why it says they're reclining at the table. Yes, they were reclining. They were chilled out, enjoying enjoying some food together. But Jesus drops this bombshell on them says that I tell you one of you will betray me. I mean, that's... He said a lot of things that are hard to believe, but I can't imagine, you know, and all the room has probably got... I mean, just all the things that they've heard before coming to Jerusalem. They're in Jerusalem. They know that Jesus is a marked man. This has got to be a scary time for everybody, right? And for him to say that, verse 22, they were very sad and began to say to him one after me, surely you don't mean me, Lord. And, man, I I, I love this response from the disciples. Like, it's surely not me, right? Because they didn't say, they didn't start looking around and be like... It's Judas right? Everybody knows this is Judas, right? All right? And nobody was like, Jesus didn't say that. And Jesus, and the you know, like Luke is like, it's him right? It's, 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 it's this guy, you know, they weren't like looking around, like figuring, trying, like figure out, like well, it's, it's got to be him. He's he's been the worst dis- Dude, He's been falling on down on the job for like weeks. This is the worst disciple right here. No, they all said, surely not me, Lord, right? I mean, because the Lord has been saying all these. Their Lord has been saying all of these unbelievable things. And, um, and, and everybody, I think from everybody, I I know I do, and I'm, I'm betting that everybody in this room knows your own propensity for sin. Like, you know what you're capable of without the grace of Jesus. And I don't think that anybody here really thought that they would do that, but their first initial, the initial thought was like, oh, say it's not, I, I wouldn't do that. It wouldn't be me, right? You know, it's there's 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 not a def, there's not a declaration is I won't do it. You know, it's, it's not me, right? Like there there's there's almost a little bit of concern because they also I think they all know what a precarious situation they're in. They I think they know there's going to be spears and swords involved. And is it going to be me? Am I going to be the one that denies? You know, is it going to be me? You know, and not to deny him, but to um, to turn him over. And I think they I think they're all fair. I think they're saying that surely not me. I wouldn't do that, right? You know, I, w- I wouldn't do that, right? Um, So, I don't know, I I just, that's, I I don't think we can really dig too much out of that. I just, I just, when I read that, that stuck out to me. Verse 23, Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would not, uh, it would be better for him if he had not been born. Now, you know, betrayal is bad the word betrayal in itself just almost makes your stomach sink that's not a word that anybody likes to i mean you know that's not a word that any that has ever been used in a good context anywhere betrayal is always bad but in this culture to eat with somebody is a very special bond like the jews would not eat with non-jews even if they were friends like hey man you know i know you from the market we're buds. you want to come to my house for dinner nope you know we, we ain't going there we're friends but we're not that type of friends we're not eating together friends And that's a special bond on one hand, right? Also, this is a disciple. I've been following you for years, learning from you. I mean, this is a betrayal of a magnitude that is almost incomprehensible. Somebody that's here, and it's not, and it's somebody that has already decided, I'm going to betray you, and I'm sitting here in the room with you, having this fellowship with you in a way that is special for two men to have fellowship, and we're sitting here eating together, and I, I mean, it's just, it shows the darkness of his heart. It really does. In verse twenty-five, then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, "Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi." And Jesus answered, "You have said so." Another interesting thing is the others say, "Surely not me, Lord." And Judas says, "Surely not me, Rabbi." You know, um, it, it's clear that G, that Jud you know that Judas doesn't look up to Jesus. Well, I mean, it's real obvious he doesn't look up to Jesus because he's, he's already actively betraying him. Um, but you know, you know, it's possible, it's really is possible that Jesus why does Jesus even say this? Jesus knows Jesus Judas is gonna betray him. He could have just walked out of there, let him betray him later. All the other disciples will be shocked. But he tells them ahead of time. I think two things. One, this is another grace to the disciples that when it happens, they all they all say, Well, this guy we all saw Judas dip in the cup with Jesus. We know that he's gonna be the one that's gonna betray him. So I think that's another grace to the disciples in that way. And, you know, it might have even been that Jesus was giving them an opportunity even here. Even at the end. You've already started this, but I'm telling you, I know. But Judas still goes through with it, which is amazing. Because you're sitting here with this guy, sharing dinner with him, dipping in the cup with him, the guy you've been following for so long. And he says, by the way, I know what you're doing. And Judas knows that Jesus knows that Judas knows... And he still goes through with it. That's just, I mean, it's absolutely astounding. You know, it's absolutely astounding. But even with all of this tension, even with all this turmoil, um, Jesus continues to teach his disciples, and he institutes here what will be the norm for the New Testament churches. Verse 26. While they were eating... Jesus took bread. And, and also read this with the context of people that have never heard of a com- communion before. From a guy that you've followed for two years that says he's about to be killed in the grossest way that anybody can imagine. And he says these words to you. Jesus took the bread, and when he gave thanks, he broke it, and he said to his disciples, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to him, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And then, now that's not something they, these are some religious people that have read a lot of things about forgiveness of sins and how that works in the temple, but they have never read or heard about it in this way. And I tell you, verse 29, I tell you, I will not drink from the fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So we have the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Passover lamb, the new covenant spoken of here, the Father's kingdom to come. You know, and and the truth is, Jesus knows what's coming, and he knows it's going to be horrendous, and he knows it will be painful. But, he, but it's also going to be something that's amazingly beautiful. You know, Israel, Israel was led out of slavery from Egypt. I can't imagine what that was like. But they were led out of slavery in Egypt. And through the blood of Jesus, we can be led out of our slavery to sin. And also, you know, we are also, we're truly free. We are free from sin and death. And the judgment has passed over our door because of what Jesus has done. And that is that is the good news. Verse 30, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. 31, then Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me. Wow. You will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. So it's like bad news, good news. This is a quote from Zechariah 13:7 which undoubtedly they have read before. And not, and not maybe completely understood it. And now Jesus is telling him, you know that quote from Zechariah that, you, that you've read? That is about you. That's not probably exactly what I, they wanted to hear. And it says, I will strike the shepherd. This I is God. The Lord sent his son into the world to be the atoning sacrifice. This is not an accident. This is not some tragedy. Uh, this was a, the predetermined, predetermined plan of God. And Jesus plainly states to his disciples that he's going to rise, as he said before, and go ahead into Galilee. And that still doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I'm going to die. You guys are going to fall away, but I'll see y'all in Galilee. You know, and even still, I mean, everybody's probably staring at him blankly, like, what? How? How does that work? You know, what does that mean? It had to be such a perplexing time. I just think about the disciples and what they were going through right there. It just had to be such a tough time for Jesus and for them, obviously. And Peter replied, you know, some people like, I like to stick my foot in my mouth. And it seems like Peter always likes to get both of them in there, you know. He's always ready to go. Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. I don't care what the Old Testament scriptures foretell. I ain't going to do it, you know. And truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Wow. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others were like, well, yeah, yeah, me too, me too, me too. You know, and, and to be honest, I mean, Peter messes up big time. He does. Jesus knows it's coming, but, Jesus, but Judas does mess up big time. He denies his Lord three times, but the Lord so graciously reinstates him afterwards. But, you know, you you, you can't even begin to compare uh, Judas and Peter because we have on one hand Peter, who's I'm going to follow you. His heart at this time is like I don't care, I don't care. I'm following you. Whatever you have to go through, I'm going through. But then when he's in a when he's in front of a bunch of soldiers with swords, where it's like if I, if we do this, I'm I am going to be hanging right there beside him for however many days until I die. Eh, I don't know this dude. You know, I mean when it's when the and it's not because I don't and I don't think it was a lack of belief. It was just fear. You know, and he fell. He fell. He fell. Totally different from Judas. Judas decided in his heart, "I'm giving this dude over. I'm going to see what I can get for it." And you know what? Even after I decide that, I'm going to go back and eat with him and pretend like everything's okay. And I'm going to find just the right up when and when 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 Peter is saying these words, I'm not going to fall away. I'm not going to do it. At that same moment, Judas is somewhere with a bunch of people saying, "Follow me." I'm going to betray him with a kiss. You know, I mean, it's totally different. You know, um, I'm so thankful, Lord, that we have. A Lord that is forgiving, that loves us, and I love the I love the fact that here, even in Scripture, that the people that had the most faith right here still mess up. You know, they're not perfect, and that gives me that gives me some hope that that, I, that the Lord's still working on me. He's still working in my heart. He's still making me into the person I want to be. Uh, I want to be all He wants me to be, but I well know that I am not there yet. Right? Um, but it's I am just so thankful, you know, that Peter he fell, but at the same time, Jesus paid for it. Jesus paid for it. Um, it reminds me, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much. So much for Jesus. And we all know that there is no other hope. There is no other, there is no other place to turn. We thank you so much that you came for us uh, while we were dead in trespasses and sins, Lord. That you you spoke into the darkness, Lord. And we thank you so much for your son. And Lord, I thank you that you're still working on each and every heart in this room. I thank you, Lord, that you're not done with us, that we are still clay in the potter's hands. And... And Lord, I pray that we would be people of faith, that we would follow you. And Lord, that we would tell other people about you. That we would live the way that you would want us to live, Lord. And we thank you so much that when we fall, when we stumble, that there's grace. And we thank you so much that the whole reason that you sent Jesus, Lord, was to bridge that gap, to pay for the sins that we couldn't pay for. So we just thank you so much that you came for us. And we thank you so much for Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that this week that we would be encouraged in our faith, Lord, that we would spend time with you, that we would uh, lavish love upon you, that you would give us hearts full of love like the woman with the alabaster jar, Lord, that we would have sweet time in prayer and in reading your word and encouraging brothers and sisters for you and telling those that don't know you about you, Lord. And so, Lord, I just pray in our lives that our agendas would be less and less about us. Uh, and more and more about you, and that we would follow you closely all our days. In Jesus' name.